Morning. Good to have you with us today. We appreciate you coming and we appreciate you joining us uh, on this uh, Sunday morning and uh, we're trusting that God will do a great work among us. There are a few changes in the uh, program this morning. Um, there's not going to be any uh, praise and worship at all. To, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, pray, <laughs> the praise team is not with us this morning. Uh, neither is the special music John and Amanda Lebo, uh, which means you're going to get out of here much, much earlier uh, because we have not included any fillers. So, uh, but it's good to have you with us today. And uh, again, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will do a great work among us. A couple of announcements that I, I do need to make. Um, I don't know if you ever look up. <laughs> I don't mean like looking up to heaven and God, but look up at the ceiling of the church. Uh, but if you do, uh, you'll notice that there's some tiles that are out, some tiles that are stained, some tiles that, you know, just don't look the best. Uh, well, we're, we have uh, uh, someone who's spearheading this great project uh, to go through the church and replace all these ceiling tiles and uh, put in those that are uh, missing. So um, it's Glenn Hoffner. We thank you for him, for his willingness to do so. But he does have ceiling tiles for the sanctuary in the back and for the uh, new foyer out here. But he needs help. So if you could help him, we don't have a date set, but if he can put together a little crew, uh, we can figure out a date, when to come and when to do the work. Uh, please see Glenn uh, for that. This Wednesday, there's going to be an Awana meeting at 6.30 in the library. Uh, also, don't forget back-to-school mo movie night uh, coming up on August the 19th at 8.30. Also, the picnic is at the end of the month on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet now. Please sign up over in the fellowship hall. You'll also see that next Sunday evening, August the 14th at 7 o'clock back at the Ozenbox, uh, we're going to have a baptismal service. Um, let me encourage you. Uh, who have not been baptized uh, to see me. Uh, you know, one of the steps uh, that we read about in the Bible, actually it's really the next step after becoming a Christian, is to be baptized. Now, we unfortunately, uh, we have one month in August out of the year that we have baptismal services. Um, so someone gets saved in January, you know, we have no facilities. Uh, to be able to do so. But in Bible days, the Bible says, believe and be baptized. And it was done immediately to identify with other Christians. I'm withdrawing, I'm abandoning my Jewish faith. Now I've become a Christian, and I don't mind sharing it with the world. Well, it was something that, uh, you know, they lost friends, they lost family members, uh, because they, were no, they didn't want to be a Christian. Uh, so it was a big deal back then, as you identify with Christ and identify with other believers. Um, so if you haven't been baptized yet, um, next Sunday night, uh, we're going to go back to the pool. Always a nice facility there, uh, above ground pool, and um, we're going to have a baptismal service. So please see me today, if that's something that would interest you. We'll sit down, we'll talk through it, and uh, I'm sure... Uh, you'll be blessed um, by God if you take that step of faith. A couple of things to announce this morning. Uh, as you may know, uh, Tim Pritchard was in and out of the hospital. Uh, he had a blood infection, and um, they're not, still not sure as far as I know. They, up, last I heard, they were not sure of the source of the infection, but they just loaded his body with antibiotics, all different kinds. And one of them, although they don't know which one, uh, worked. And um, so he was able to come home last night. So continue to pray for Tim. Um, keep also Larry Scadden in prayer. Uh, do I see Darlene? I do. How's Larry doing? That's all you have to say? Dar Darlene, I'm expecting this long, long, no, well, that's good, it's good to know, huh? Oh, never, you, never, never, a first, a complete first, 
So keep Larry in prayer as well as George Westfall. Uh, George Westfall had shoulder surgery this past Thursday. He had a torn right rotator cuff. Uh, in and out of the hospital in, in one day. But I know many of you know George, and uh, so we need to keep him uh, before the Lord. And then one other uh, f- man, uh, Frank Kolish. Uh, I don't know if you, you some of you know Frank. Frank uh, used to come and, and um, uh, was a great friend. And I, when we lived in the parsonage, he lived right across the street. So I got to know Frank really well. But uh, Frank's not doing well. Frank has cancer. And um, he's on oxygen, but he's going to have a kidney removed on August the 18th. Uh, he jokes about it. He says, you know, you can live with one kidney. But, you know, it, it's a big deal. Um, so pray for Frank on August the 18th uh, as he has this, this kidney removed. Now, Father, we come before your throne, and we are thankful that we're able to do so. Uh, you are a great and awesome God, and, Father, as we approach your throne, we, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, for the great things that, Father, you're able and capable of doing, for nothing is uh, too difficult for you. Father, you're a God of great miracles. You're a God who is able to do above and beyond what we can ask or think. And so, Father, as we begin this morning in prayer, we, we thank you that you have given us a wonderful salvation, that through Christ we have been made alive. And no longer, Lord, are we uh, slaves of sin, but, Father, we've been forgiven. And, Father, we have uh, been given new life. We are new creations. And as such, Father, we are to live differently. Uh, Father, we know the great testimonies in the Bible uh, of those men who have been wicked and evil, but trusted Christ and have been changed, dramatically changed. Well, Father, you've changed us, and even though we may not be all that we ought to be, Father, we know that we're your children. And if, uh, for chance, Father, there is someone here this morning that uh, is not a child of yours, has never put their faith and trust in you, that, Father, this might be that day, this might be the hour in which they believe in Jesus Christ and are saved. Father, we're thankful for answers to prayer on on behalf of Larry. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that he's able to be home and and doing well. And for Tim, Lord, we're thankful that one of these antibiotics, uh, it worked, and um, he's on his way to recovery. We pray for George as he is going through now recovery with this shoulder surgery. Uh, Father, we know that uh, he's an active man, and this is going to be a great disability for him. So we pray that very soon you would uh, restore this shoulder and restore him to full health. Father, as we look forward to August the 18th, we pray for Frank. Uh, Father, we have gotten to know him well over the years. And Father, it's just uh, we're saddened to hear of this cancer now that has crept into his body. And we pray that as they remove this kidney, that Father, they might be able to might be able. Uh, to remove the cancer as well. Uh, Father, again, we're thankful for this service. We're thankful that you, Father, have brought us together. Uh, We have come this morning, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth. We have come today to see Jesus in all of his glory. Father, we pray that everything that we say and do uh, might bring honor to yourself. Father, you certainly are worthy of our worship, and our praise. And so as we bow before you, we are thankful. We're thankful that you've allowed us to come together. This is your house. This is your place. This is your sanctuary. And Father, we have come and pray that you might open our eyes, open our ears, help us to see, help us to hear all those things that, Father, you have in store for us. Again, we thank you for your Son, who loves us and who gave himself for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is my Father's world, hymn number 58. Leonard's going to come and lead us in a couple of hymns at this time.
This is my Father's world. He shall not bring ears. All nature sings and round me ring the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies. turn with me to hymn number 40. Hymn number 40, To God Be the Glory. <clears throat>
Just waiting to see who's last. All right. Lisa Miller just sat down. Last one. <laughs> just waiting. Don't like to get started too soon. Arnold Palmer, the great golf legend, back in 1961, the story goes that he was in the Masters Tournament, and he was leading, uh, and he was at the eight, on the 18th hole, the last and final round, and he hit off a tee shot, and he had a good tee shot, Danny, a good tee shot. And he was on his way to winning the Masters Tournament that year. But as he approached his ball, a friend of his that was standing over on the edge waved him over. He leaves his ball. He goes over to the edge, and this man congratulates him on the tournament. And the story goes that he knew that he should have never done that. Because the minute he left, he lost his focus. He came back, hit his ball into the sand trap, then he hit it up on the edge of the green and missed the putt and lost the tournament. One of the greatest spiritual disciplines for the Christian is to stay focused on God. It's not easy but to stay focused on the Almighty God. You know, it seems to me one of the reasons that it's hard is because God has blessed us so much. I, that may sound a bit strange, but I think about our country, for example. And God has blessed us in so many wonderful ways. It almost seems as though when he does that, our attention turns from him to other things. Sometimes it's the hardships of life. Sometimes it's the real difficult times. When I think of the book of Acts, it was persecution that drove people to God. And you often wonder if that's not coming to America to draw us and bring our focus back to God. What are blessings? When we think of blessings, what do you think of? Only those things that are good? Not necessarily. For Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are insulted. Blessed are those who are mistreated. I think we need to understand that we're of men most blessed, but not just in those times that we call good, but in the trials and in the sufferings and in the hardships. You know, I think there's this misconception that all hardship is some form of God's discipline. Oh, it can be. And all good things are a result of God's favor. I, I think of men like Job. We studied Job a little bit in Sunday school. And you know the story of Job. The Bible says he was blameless. The Bible says he was righteous. He feared God. He was upright. And yet God allowed the devil to bring suffering upon him that was unimaginable. That his children were killed. All his material possessions were taken away. And boils from head to foot. And yet Job understood that, you know, we need to accept good from God and also trouble. He said that to his wife when his wife said, Job, just curse God. Oh, no, no. If we're going to accept the good from God, then we also need to accept the trouble. Job didn't have any misconception about God's goodness. Now it brings us to a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob is the man who had a father named Isaac and a grandfather named Abraham. It's that Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And Jacob was living the good life. Jacob was blessed of God beyond measure. He was in the line of promise, in the covenantal line. He was under his mother's watchful eyes and his father's patriarchal blessings. Jacob had a good life. But one day he decided to, being the deceiver that he was, the conniver, the trickster, he decided to steal his brother's birthright. His brother's name was Esau. They were twins. And he tricks his father into believing that that he was his brother. And Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau. And he steals his brother's birthright. Well, that didn't make Esau happy at all. As a matter of fact, Esau now was out for the blood of Jacob. So Jacob runs. He runs for his life. This easy life at home, this life of great blessings, is all going to change. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob is running for his life. Jacob is running for his life. Look at Genesis chapter 28 in verse 10. 28.10, Jacob, he left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones, he put it under his head, and he laid down to sleep. He had a dream. By the way, this is a new series, Sweet Dreams. So many dreams in the Bible, and so we're going to look at a few who had these dreams. Here's Jacob. He falls asleep. He has a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth and its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, And the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Life has drastically changed for Jacob. He's running from his brother. And he's on a 500-mile journey from Beersheba to Haran. He's now a fugitive. He's far from home distant from family, fear of wild animals, scavenging for food. It's far different than living at home. The heir to the promise of God, the heir to the promises of God is now lying on the desert floor with a rock for a pillow. Can this really be a blessing? Is Jacob being blessed as he goes through this hard time? Can this really be a blessing to go through times such as these? You know, someone has said, and I love this quote, comfort is not the avenue 
to maturity. Think about that. <laughs> Comfort is not the avenue to maturity. James, in, his, in the first chapter of his letter, he said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Haven't you ever scratched your head and <laughs> wondered, James, are you in your right mind to be able to pen something such as that? I mean, James, count it all joy when you fall into these various trials. But he wasn't saying we find happiness in suffering and pain, but in what suffering and pain produce. Because James goes on to say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials because these trials produce perseverance, which then will produce maturity. Nobody finds joy in suffering except that it produces maturity. Notice James didn't say it's comfort that is the avenue to maturity. But trials and hardship and pain, that leads to maturity. And here's Jacob. He lived in the home under his mother's watchful eyes, under his father's blessings. But God wants to speak now to Jacob. He wants to show Jacob something that he hadn't seen in the comfort of his home. And so God has to get Jacob out of his comfort zone and get him out into the desert, lying on the ground with a rock for a pillow, running for his life, away from all the securities at home, all alone and afraid, stripped of all his worldly comforts, this is when God now is going to work in the life of this man. And so he goes on his journey. It's a 500-mile journey. He travels about 70 miles, and he needs a place to rest. The sun has set, and so he finds a big old rock. You know, I don't understand that at all. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather put my head in the dust of the desert than to put my head on a rock. I mean, pillows sometimes feel hard, don't they? You know, if you, anyway. Um, so he goes 70 miles, and it says in verse 10, he comes to this certain place. A certain place. Nothing special about it. Um, just an ordinary place. It's, it just happens to be the place where the sun has begun to set and he's tired now. He comes to this certain place and falls to sleep. And he has this dream. <laughs> he has this dream in which he sees this stairway. And I believe some translations speak of a ladder but it's probably more of, of, of a step-like uh, picture that he sees. And it starts on earth, and it rises and goes all the way into heaven. And going up and down this stairway are these angels ascending and descending, going up, going down. And then at the very top of the steps is the Lord himself. And the Lord speaks to Jacob and repeats the great covenantal promises that God had said to Abraham back in Genesis 12 and to Isaac, his son, and now to Jacob. You know, it's interesting because every once in a while we, we get a glimpse into the supernatural world. Every once in a while God allows us to 
pull back the curtain and look into another world. In the book of Job, we were able to do that. Job wasn't able to pull the curtain back. He wasn't sure why he was going through all the sufferings. But we get a glimpse into what was taking place. For the curtain was pulled back, and we're able to see that God and Satan are in this conversation. And God allows Satan to go to earth and bring about all these afflictions upon Job. We're able to see that. Every once in a while we get a glimpse into the supernatural world. We see it in the Old Testament in the account of Elisha, the great prophet of God. When he and his servant are in this house, Sindathan, and they're surrounded by the enemy. And the servant wakes up and he's scared to death as he looks and sees the enemy. And Elisha says to the servant, nothing to worry about because there's more of us than there are of them. And the servant's looking and he doesn't see anything but the enemy until his eyes are opened. And the curtain is pulled back. And he's able to look out into this supernatural world. Here is Jacob. When he arrived at this certain place, he lays flat on the ground with a rock for his pillow. When all the time this certain place, all the time he was surrounded by the glory of God and the great hosts of heaven. But now, the curtain is pulled back in this dream, and he's able to see into this other world. I wonder oftentimes in our lives, we only see the natural world. I mean, that's all my eyes can see, my physical eyes, right? I I can see you, I can see pews, I can see trees and and lakes, I can see sky and green grass, since there's a little rain, it's not all brown anymore. But I, I can see things, the physical, the natural world. When the reality is that we are always surrounded by the supernatural. We're so preoccupied, I believe, by the ordinary that we fail to see the extraordinary. We live so much in this world that we fail to see the real world. We're good at observing the material world and we never really see the spiritual world. And so I ask you the question, what will it take for us to see what is really going on around us? What will it take for us to really see what is taking place around us? Well, the first thing I think we need are new eyes. We need new eyes to be able to see the supernatural world. If you notice verse 12 of this story, it says that Jacob had a dream in which he saw. He saw something. He was given new eyes to be able to see the supernatural world. You remember the story of Balaam and the donkey? We looked at that a couple weeks ago. and Here comes this guy Balaam on this donkey and he's riding down the road and all of a sudden the donkey he's able to see into the supernatural world he sees the angel of the Lord holding his drawn sword right in front of him and three times he tries to save Balaam on his back from being slain from this angel and he goes off into the field and he crushes Balaam's leg and then he just lays down completely Balaam doesn't see the angel of the Lord. Balaam doesn't see the drawn sword. So he starts beating on his donkey. He beats on him three times until the donkey finally turns around and looks at Balaam and says, what are you doing? 
Why are you doing this? And then Balaam's eyes are opened, and he's able to see. He was given new eyes to be able to see into the spiritual world. You know, the Bible says that we live in a, in, in a, or we're in a spiritual warfare. The Bible says quite clearly in the book of Ephesians that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against evil powers of this world. Suppose you, at your place of work, uh, you have this person. Maybe we all have a person who we just can't get along with. This person is just so opposite me. Does things that just irritate me. And sometimes I think she does these things just to irritate me. And I just, you know, there's something I just can't stand her. Where does the problem lie? If we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, the problem isn't her. You're in a spiritual warfare. You see, we need eyes to understand who the enemy is. Who is the real enemy when it comes to relationships? Why is it so hard to love certain people? Is it their personality? Is it their character? Or are we in a spiritual warfare because we're taught to love everyone as we love ourselves? You see, I think sometimes we need new spiritual eyes to recognize and understand that we're in a warfare. I think it's part, that's part of having spiritual eyes. We often become discouraged. We often become disappointed in life. There are a lot of things that bring discouragement into our lives. Why is that? And sometimes it causes us to say, God, do you, do you really love me? I mean, really, God, to allow me to go through this? God, do you really care about me? And yet we know the Bible says that we're to cast all of our care upon him because he does care for us. I think having new spiritual eyes is, is part of recognizing and understanding who the enemy is. That Satan is trying so desperately to discourage us. He's trying so desperately to ruin relationships. Who's the real enemy? Well, open your eyes. Allow God to open your spiritual eyes and understand that we are in a great battle. The second thing we need are ears to hear. Not only do we need new eyes to see, but we need ears to hear. In verse 13, the Lord speaks. It says that there above it stood the Lord and he said, Jacob had ears to hear. He wanted to hear what the Lord had to say. What we need are ears to hear God speak. You know, many people today, they wonder why God doesn't speak to us today. Well, he does. <laughs> We're just not listening. God is speaking today. You know, I, I really believe he does, but we don't have ears to hear. We have car stereos that are blaring, TVs that are constantly on, everyone wearing headphones. <laughs> now, I'm not against those things. But you know what? I think many times we have very little quiet time to just listen to what God has to say. There are so many sounds going on around us. We live in a noisy, busy world. And it's hard sometimes to find that time to just say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. You know, most people, I think, and most Christians have no consistent time of quiet in their lives. And I know you're saying... 
you know, I work all day, I come home, and the kids are, sh I understand that. Maybe we're in a different place right now with an empty nest. You know, we often kid because, um, you know, we love when the kids come over. And um, Sundays are special because not only do we come to church and be with all you nice folks, but um, a lot of times, and I don't see them here except Brinley and Aiden walked in, um, but our children come. And after church, they go over to our house, and we have lunch together. And that's always a, a great time. Um, they spend a little bit of time, and we eat around the table, and, and then uh, they spend another hour or two, and then it's time to go home. And I know I'll walk downstairs and walk them to the garage door, and they get in their cars, and the garage door goes down, and I walk in and say, Oh, <laughs> Quiet. I understand the difficulty of finding quiet. But if we're going to hear God speak, we need quiet. We need a place, wherever that place might be. Maybe it is in your car going to work, but you turn off the radio. Maybe it's when you put your head on your pillow at night. Maybe that's the only place you can find that quiet, but someplace where you can... Hear God speak. Remember the story of Samuel in the Old Testament? And here's this old guy, Eli, and Eli is the priest. And Eli is mentoring and training this young boy, Samuel, to uh, be a priest himself. And, and uh, in the middle of the night, uh, Samuel's lying there in his bed, and he hears, Samuel, Samuel. He jumps up out of bed, and he he assumes that it's old man Eli, and he runs over to Eli's bedroom and says, what do you want? Eli says, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. And he goes back to bed, and three times he hears his name, Samuel. And three times he runs over to old man Eli, and Eli finally says, Samuel, it's the Lord wants to speak to you. The next time you hear that voice, say, speak, for your servant is listening. And it's at that time, that third time, when the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Samuel. You see, he had ears to hear. Here is Jacob. He's not at home. He doesn't have his brother there. You know, they're not fighting as siblings and mom's not telling him to do the chore. He's all alone. He's in this solitary place. And it's here that not only does he see the Lord, but he now is able to hear the Lord. We all need quiet in our lives. We all need regular and consistent time when we say, okay, Lord, okay, speak, because now I'm listening. I think God does speak to us. We're just not listening because we have so much competition, so much noise that is drowning out his voice. The third thing we need is a new heart to believe. A new heart to believe. Madonna sings the song, I am a material girl in a material world. Well, that's only half true. Because we live in a spiritual world. You know, I can't imagine going through life and saying that this material world, this is, this is all there is. You know, if, if I thought for one moment that this is all there is, what I see today, then I would go along with the crowd and say, I might as well just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But we know there's more, don't we? We know there's more than what we see. But we need to believe that. We need a heart to believe. You see, the Bible says when we become Christians, we are new creations. We have been changed. Changed forever. And we're to experience, I believe, the world in a whole new way. Remember the story of the Wizard of Oz? And Dorothy, when the story begins, that movie, it's in black and white because they're in Kansas. Not much goes on. In, I don't know, maybe you love Kansas, but any, nobody from Canada. There's not much going on in Kansas. 
So it starts off in black and white. And then all of a sudden they get to Oz and what happens? The whole screen is filled with color. Well, that world of Oz was all, always there. Dorothy just didn't experience it. When we become Christians, I think colors become brighter and the wind blows a little stronger and everything changes for us. Isn't it true? I mean, we sang this song, This is My Father's World. I think we as Christians of all people, we, we understand that and we, we see God's great creation that's all around us, but there's more. There's more than all of that. There is, in fact, a supernatural world. There is another world. And here is Jacob. And it's interesting in verse 16 because after he says, surely the Lord is in this place, he says, but I wasn't aware of it. <laughs> Up to this point, he says, I didn't know God was here. It took God to open his eyes. It took God to open his ears because God wanted to do something in Jacob right here in this certain place. And all of a sudden, this certain place becomes, verse 17, an awesome place. Do you see it? He says, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? This certain place, this nothing special about this place, this ordinary place, all of a sudden becomes an awesome place. Because God is here. Because God is here. And when he woke up, he recognized that he was in the presence of the Almighty. He said, when I first came, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> I was running from my life. I was running from my brother. I come to this place, it's just a desert floor, hard rock. But all of a sudden, everything changed. Why? Because he had a heart to believe. And what he believed was, is that God is there, that God was with him, that in this hard time when he felt so all alone, that he found God. He discovered God to be in this place. Now listen, his situation didn't change. When he starts off again, he's still running for his life. His circumstances didn't change, but boy, did everything else change for Jacob. Because all of a sudden, he has the presence of God. And that's what changed. His circumstances didn't change, but Jacob did. Because Jacob now understands that he is never alone. That no matter where he is, whether he be in a hard place, going through a situation in which he's going through, God is surely in this place. And knowing that makes all the difference. I, I was reading something that said that there are two birds that fly over our nation's deserts. Two birds. One is the vulture. Now, I'm sure there's others, but these are two. One is the vulture, and the other is a hummingbird. And the vulture, as he circles, he's looking down on the desert floor for stinky, rotten, smelly meat. The hummingbird, on the other hand, as he hovers in the air, he's looking down for the beautiful blossoms on the desert floor. And each bird finds what he's looking for. As you go through life, what is it you're looking for? What are you focused on? I started by telling the story of Arnold Palmer who lost his focus. You know, as we go through life, God will bring hardships. And God will bring trouble. But you know where our focus ought to be? Not dwelling on those things, but dwelling and focused 
on the presence of God. Surely, God is in this place. Remember that. Whatever you're going through, God promises to be in that place with you. May God help us to have new eyes, to be able to see him. New ears, to be able to hear when he speaks. And a new heart, to believe that he is always with us and will never, ever forsake us. Father, we do thank you for your presence. Jacob called uh, that desert floor of the house of God. And Father, when we think of that, we, we do think of the sanctuary in which you've allowed us to come this morning. And Father, this is your house. And surely, Father, we, we don't doubt that you are in this place. And Father, where two or three are gathered together, you said you would be there in their midst. But Father, we'll leave this morning We'll go to our homes, we'll go into our work this week, and my prayer is, is that, Lord, you might open our eyes and our ears and help us to believe that, Father, you're not just here in this place, but you're out there in every place. And, Father, believing that, it makes every place a special place and an awesome place because of your presence. Father, help us to stay focused on you. Open our eyes to see you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to close this morning by singing hymn number 32, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. Let's stand together. Page number 32. How great thou God. O oh Lord my God, and I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When through the woods and forests <coughs> and hear the birds sweetly in the trees when i look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook feel the gentle breeze then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art. It's my soul. <coughs> How great thou art. Great thou art. And when I think that God his son not sparing sent him to die scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died 
to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art. Then sings my soul, Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art. When Christ shall come, when Christ shall come, with shout of acclamation, and take me home, joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim, God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, Savior God to thee, great thou art, how great thou art. Father, we thank you for who you are. And you are a great and wonderful God, and you were promised to be there with us and for us. Help us to experience your presence this week in every place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.